the show that goes there. This is the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome to another great edition of our show where we take the day's headlines of our country going to hell in a handbasket and try to make some sense of it. God help us. Coming up today, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, including the latest for Trump and Russia. Oh my God, the, the latest from... Well, let's talk about the White House healthcare enrollment, and why not? We'll just throw in some other stuff to be fun. Before we get to all of that, some brief introductions are in line. Hi, I am, of course, your host, a critical thinker, problem solver, guy that's just left of normal insane, but always found at one place. Uh, that would be shaggyjenkins.com or wherever fine social media is served and looked over by social, you know, social bots from Russia for any information that could be used against me at Shaggy Live. Joining me from a little place, you probably heard of it, tiny little state called Texas. He is an instructor at the South Plains Junior College and has actually ran, I don't know why, for an actual government job. Please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, from the great big old state of Texas, Drew Landry. Welcome to the show, Drew. Hey, Shaggy. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Well, we have got a lot of stuff to talk about, and I, I figured I would I would start off with, with asking a very basic question. When it comes to Texas, does nobody like health care? <laughs> You know, that's a great question <laughs> because, you know, again, Texas ranks number one in having the lowest insured in all of the country. And now we've got children who are at the top of those who aren't insured. And so when it comes to health insurance, Texas is at the bottom and that's a real big problem. And well, you know, the ongoing solution is, well, just kind of put our heads in the sand and, you know, just say, okay, but what, what elected officials will tell you is that there's not enough money in the pot to do this sort of thing or even to expand Medicaid. But what we what just found out in Texas was that Apple is going to expand and bring a new campus to Austin, which is great. It's going to create about 20,000 jobs. Wonderful. But they're, but they're getting a whole bunch of tax credits, 100% tax abatement for their property taxes. Oh. Somehow they can afford that, but can't afford to expand Medicaid. It's a bit of an interesting diversity of uh, priorities. Yeah, because see, here's the thing when it comes to this. <clears throat> Healthcare is something that only the United States as an industrial country has a problem with. Everybody else has kind of switched over to different systems. And, and can I just ask a question? Because Texas is one of those states that is notorious for insurance premiums. Now, and when I say notorious, I mean that they're all over the map. They're, they're, they're sometimes higher per capita than any other state out there, and the coverage doesn't go as far. So when it comes to people in Texas, this decision that came out Friday from a federal judge, are people actually applauding them? Yes, yes. This was a, uh, a, a lead... Um, uh, lawsuit by the uh, uh, Attorney General Ken Paxton. Ken Paxton has been indicted uh, for fraud on SEC charges, <laughs> and somehow he won re-election, but it was very, very narrow. Uh, yeah, the, yeah you're, the, the look on your face is exactly what everybody in America should have, uh, <laughs> because that's exactly what it was. But he brought this case uh, to the federal court 
saying how since the Congress uh, stripped out the penalty, and it was going to be a $0 penalty if you didn't have health insurance, that, well, since there's no penalty, then there shouldn't be a mandate. And that and that was what uh, led the federal judge to say, you know what, that's probably true, you're right, and so the individual mandate, since it doesn't cost anything to not have it, is unconstitutional. Now, that's that was like the entire crux of the entire law, was trying to force people to buy health insurance so the health insurance coverage rate would go down. And that's exactly what was taking place. People were getting health insurance. Well, you know, that's a big problem for people like Kim Paxton, and that was a problem for, you know, this mandate of, of you know, individual freedom to not, it's my freedom to not buy health insurance. And that well, was... That's, That's kind of the argument that a lot of Texans have. You know, the thing is, is Texas is such a frontier type of state. You know, they're rough and tumble. They're, oh boy, Texans, we can do anything because, damn it, we're Texas. But <laughs> this is the thing. If you actually look back at the history of frontier medicine, Texas killed a lot of people with mismanaging their medical uh, history pretty much from the onset, didn't they? Yeah, that's uh, that. You know, look, you know, you know, Texas is an interesting mix of a whole host of cultures dealing with the old South, and 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 then you have uh, a lot of the Southwest and the Western frontier. Whole big, you know, pot of 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 melting pots going on there. It's incredibly, you know, odd. <laughs> uh, unique is a pretty good way to, to put it because you have, you know, three of the largest cities in America are in Texas and in, in Dallas, uh, Houston's the largest, and then you have San Antonio, and then this incredible uh, attraction of Austin. It's, it, it, and then you got, you know, those are the big areas that people want to go to. And then you got what's forgotten in El Paso. And then you got, you know, all these little small areas all throughout the entire, you know, other state, like where I'm in, which is in West Texas, and you got a whole bunch of rural areas. Hmm. Well, you know, the, the rural areas are the ones who get really put to the screws when, you know, health insurance isn't really, uh, or really health care is on the back burner because you have rural hospitals that go out of business because they can't do ongoing, you know, basic things like deliveries. And, and so this is, you know, a, a, yeah. a very, very uh, a rough area where where you try to make this argument to them, but then they say, well, look, I don't want more government in my life and I, don't, and I want freedom. And, and, and that's what you, that's the friction that you meet. And it's tough to get people out of that kind of mindset in this part of the state. Well, th that's something interesting that I do want to bring up because unlike every other correspondent that we have on this show, and this is kind of the strange thing, I, as the host, am the only one that has the, 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 the guilty association of being from one of these areas. A lot of times when I talk to people on this show and my correspondents from Chicago, Orlando, and even Racine, they don't understand rural mindset. And how yeah. the, 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 the rural mindset is very... And I... I, I I don't know if I, this is the right word, but Drew, would you say that people in the quote-unquote country are, are kind of, by nature, a little anarchist? They don't want any sort of government in their life. Yeah, very independent-minded and very, you know, I can do it on my own. Look, you know, that's, that's how it is. And so they've, you know, the, the rural 
you know, you know country, non-urbanized areas, whatever kind of word we, we want to use, um, have all been, you know, this rather conservative mindset. And, uh, you know, look, the freedom is what I have. That's, that's the spirit of, of the country. And that's, that's, that's what I'm going to take with me. And for a long time, that used to be a very good democratic stronghold. And then, well, you know, the FDR and the New Deal and Lyndon Johnson and, and, and the Great Society and, and, a, and a whole bunch of other things, you know, later in the you know, 20th century changed that. Yeah. Nixon, Southern Strategy, Spiro Agnew, Nixon. that whole outreach. Yeah. Exactly. We, yeah. Exactly. It changed so the was, whole landscape, actually. It, it absolutely did. And so this is, you know, that's and Texas, you know, people often think when they hear of Texas, they think of the, you know, either the, the TV show of Dallas or the Dallas Cowboys and big oil and big hair and, you know, that sort of thing. They often forget that there are so many small rural areas that is really the the holding spot for the uh, for the uh, stronghold for the Republican Party and the conservative um, movement. Yeah, and, it's, and it's it's really tough for progressive minded and, and even for for Democrats to make any kind of wave to to you know make some some um, some headway uh, in this because yeah. this is something I, I want to bring up because Donald Trump immediately after this statement was gone, of course he took to Twitter because. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, he basically went on and said, quote, now Congress must pass a strong law that provides great health care and protects pre-existing commission uh, conditions. Mitch and Nancy get it done. Problem. Mitch has definitely been on the anti pre-existing conditions. So asking Chuck and Nancy to get this done is asking like Jesus and Satan to have some sort of buddy cop film together, isn't it? (laughs) You know, that's, you know, it's just been recently now that, that the, you know, the national uh, Republicans have, have wanted to do something with pre-existing conditions. Um, You know, if, if you remember back to, you know, 2009 and 2010, just almost 10 years ago, believe it or not, where we were having this very enraged uh, discussion over government's role in healthcare, uh, pre-existing conditions was up at the top and saying, look, we have to make sure these people get, get covered and they have to be protected. And there were those going, no, 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 that's, you know, and they were arguing the case for the health insurance companies. And I totally get that. But nowadays it's been, hey, you know, that's now been a popular thing. And they're going, yeah, we have to make sure pre-existing conditions get get covered. And so, you know, for the president who has never defined anything when it comes to what healthcare looks like for him, other than it'll be great and beautiful. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but it's going to be great and beautiful. <laughs> you know, and much like his wives, it'll be from Russia. Yeah. <laughs> Just throwing that out there, Drew. Just throwing that out there. That that's that's pretty solid. <laughs> yeah, but this is the thing because I I do want to say this about Trump and the Republican Party. They have always been against the Affordable Care Act, and this is a question that I I've put forward to a couple of different correspondents on the show, and I'm going to put this one to you, sure. Drew. Is this just kind of Donald Trump wanting to undo Barack Obama? Merely because, and this is true, back in 2012, during the White House Correspondents' Dinner, Barack Obama insulted 
Donald J. Trump, therefore leading him to run for president and now to engage on this, I'm going to undo everything this black man did because I'm in charge now. Is this Affordable Care Act going after it without actually having a replacement? Yet another example of Trump just trying to undo Obama for the sake of being Trump? Yeah, I think... um what you'll often find whenever you know the power switches hands is that you know the the uh, the new administration kind of wants to do a bit of of reverse on the previous ad- administration, but even on things that you disagree with that have become rather fundamental um, have kind of stayed the same. I mean, you know, if if you look at you know um, you know with the Medicare and and with um, even when you know, uh, Eisenhower, whenever he became president and, and with Social uh, Security, uh, that was the first time we had a, a Republican president in over 20 years. And this is a guy who said, look, this is what this is going to become our society for henceforth and forever. And we have to be on the side of it. Um, you would think that even though President Trump has has been very disagreeing with Obama on the whole healthcare thing, that since there's so many people on it, that he would show, show at least some support for it. But you are correct. There's been none. I mean, he's, you know, the whole Health and Human Services Department has been very uh, rather... Un- um, underfunded, out- under-talked about, yeah. underappreciated. All of those things are very good to describe what's what's been going on there. I mean, they don't even really want to publicize... When the enrollment dates are are going to happen, I mean, I you know usually you know the government takes to the social media, goes on television, makes the ads, and say, hey, here's the open enrollment. Make sure you're covered by this time, or 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 you you know get your health insurance, you know you know put in your information by by this time. That's been nowhere with this administration. That's been nowhere at all, and that's been rather odd. And I think. You know, whenever you know President Trump took office, I think there was going to be a whole unraveling of the Obama agenda from the previous eight years. And I got to be honest with you, that's that's really sad to see someone who just wants to do everything in reverse and just take a and imagine that you know that that the past eight years didn't happen, that there was nothing from 2009 to to, to 2017, and and you know that's. But here's the thing, and I I just want to break you off right there, because here's the thing. When Donald Trump talks about, look, I I want to undo all of this bad stuff, it's only bad for rich, older, white guys. It's only bad for a very, and I hate to say this, a niche, and I mean one hell of a niche, the 1% of the 1% of the 0-1%. And, yes. and this is yes. the thing. Trump keeps trying to go in front of his base time and time again and tell poor, impoverished, undereducated, below middle, middle end class white people that he's on their side, yet every law he writes is more towards the behest and benefit of people in his white, older, rich, and I want to keep all my money and keep wages down kind of niche. So this is the thing. Drew... When we talk about this whole illusion that, that, that Donald Trump has built up around the mystique of what he's trying to do in office, with this new thing that he's trying to do with health care, is he actually going to be able to get the Trumpian narrative of, I have a better plan, ahead of 
well, you're just doing this because you don't like Barack Obama. Yeah, and that plays well with his base because his base did not like the eight years of Obama, and and they want uh, you know they are very much happy that you know that Trump is doing what he's doing, trying to unravel everything. You know they you know you know whenever if 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 you have a conversation with a member of of his base, this is what they'll tell you: Hey. I don't care that, you know, there's nothing to this Russia thing. Don't care about it at all. He said he wanted to build a wall, so he's he, he, he wants a wall. I don't, you know, Obamacare is the worst thing ever, and whatever he brings out is going to be better than that. And, you know, he's been taking on uh, ISIS, and, and Obama called it the JV team, and that, you know, he, and, and the even, you know, and so this is kind of where we are here. I mean, this is the, the conversation. All of those things that Trump does plays right into his base. Well, and he's not going to have the cover in the House anymore because, you know, he's had two years to do what he wanted to do. And, well, it's it's kind of frustrating for him because, you know, he'll say, well, the Senate has these rules and, the, and all this. Well, look, the Senate, you know, Congress has these rules for consensus and it forces you know both sides in either chamber to talk to one another. If they're not talking to each other in the Senate, that's not the Democrats' fault. As you know, that's the fact that Mitch McConnell doesn't want to talk to the other side and just wants to try to steamroll, you know, you know, Trump's agenda. But that's that's where we are. I mean, all the stuff that that you mentioned plays very well with with Trump's base. Well, this Every is the thing. Time. I want to I want to bring this up because. Is it just Trump's base or is it the GOP party at whole? And the reason I bring that up is because out of the state that brought you great things like me, um, out of North Carolina, there is this story going around about the, I, I believe it's the 10th district and the election that happened right in Robinson and Broward County. Now, what we are learning right now is that in a state that was accused in a federal court of surgically precision voter uh, suppression against African Americans through gerrymandering is now in a state that is very nervous about Democrats getting some sort of control. They're now jumping on this, okay, well, we're just going to steal the damned election. And... (laughs) And, and this, is, this is why I bring this up, because, Drew, when we talk about the GOP and the base, Trump talks about his base as, you know, my base is different, my base is different. But when we're looking at the Republican Party out of North Carolina and we look at the actions of uh, what's happening in the 10th District with the possibly hiring somebody to specifically steal votes – to make sure that the Republican won, so much so that the process is so corrupt, they might have to call another election on this. At this point, do we really separate the GOP and Trump's base anymore when they're behaving the same? Yeah, that's that's a great uh, lead-in. That's a great uh, question there, Shaggy, because you're exactly right. There's really no, no difference here. Um, between the president's base and the Republican Party's base, they are one in the same, and that's and for him, he thinks that's great, um, and you know there's no mistake in one one or the other. Now, uh, on to this uh, uh, North Carolina issue here is that you know look, uh, 
uh, Mark Harris uh, defeated McCready by 905 votes. That's incredibly tight race. That is so razor thin. Very thin. And, and of course, you would want to have a recount. You'd want to have all this. And then they go into, into finding that uh, there's some interesting things going on here with the absentee ballots. Now, one of the biggest hoaxes that Republicans and, and their fellow conservatives love to play out is that Democrats always are favored by election fraud. And they say that, you know, going back to Chicago and that dead people are voting, and that's ever been the same and yada, 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 yada. Well, as time has, has marched on, we have found every single time that voter fraud and in the terms of this, someone taking someone else's ID and and claiming that they're them and voting on their behalf, that is ever so rare, and it rarely ever happens. That but it's it's almost statistically insignificant. Yeah, but I was going to say during the 2016. I just want to throw this in here during the 2016 election, which we've already spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, actually millions of dollars, investigating election and voter fraud, we have found in millions and millions and millions of cases across the United States that were supposed voter fraud. Remember that thing that you just said about how it was somebody taking an ID and trying to vote on the behalf of others? The whole multi-million dollar investigation that Trump set up found six cases and all of them were all dismissed because of exactly what you said. So they are willing to spend in the hundreds of thousands of dollars Republicans are are willing to spend taxpayer money to prove a narrative that isn't false just because at the end of the day if they can tell you that all Democrats are cheats then they can basically change the 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 way the elections work however they want yeah yeah that yeah that's that's a very good point I mean you know there if, if you remember at the very beginning of the of the president's uh, term. He wanted to get this uh, uh, commission uh, together to really observe voter fraud because he was so convinced that the three million people who voted who didn't who voted for more than Hillary than than him that were illegal and that and he's the one who won the popular vote along with the electoral college. That commission disbanded and couldn't find any. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. It's like. Might as but, well tell them to go snipe hunting at night, right? I mean, exactly. <laughs> I, but, as long as uh, we're subsidizing was, snipes, you know, this is the thing with this. And I, I kind of want to bring sure. this up because this sure. is from my home state. So mm-hmm. you know what it's like when you are raised with a certain illusion that your state is, it, it has a certain ideal. It has, And we were a colonial state. We were one of the first colonies. So, right. oh, oh, North Carolina cannot be fallible at all. But after, and I mean, this is true because I actually left the state when I saw the politics kind of going weird in the early 2000s. And and it was one of the, the factors that was like, you know what, I was born and raised here, but I don't know this damn place anymore. I'm getting out of here. Um, but this is the thing about North Carolina. They are, by nature, and I can say this as my complexion can tell you, they are, by nature, a good old boys type of state but good old boys only come in one color don't they drew oh yes yes that's i yes that, there's no doubt about that and if you look at a at a political history of 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 texas when um there's been a long line of good old boy networks in this state as well and i think that's 
going to be fairly true for a lot of states in, in, in our country. But going back to North Carolina, the biggest problem that, that happened in this particular uh, election, which is this is the, the concern when it comes to election tampering, is the absentee ballot. Absentee balloting, meaning here's, you know, just so everyone can, you know, get on the same page what an absentee is, is that, you know, if you can't show up to vote on election day, or if you are homebound, or you're in a nursing home, or something along those lines, the elections office will mail you a ballot, and you can vote on it on your own at the privacy of your own home, and then you mail it back in before a particular time dictated by the elections office. Correct. Okay, so so what can happen here? A whole host of corruption, and guess what we're finding is that uh, Harris actually employed a guy by the name of, of Leslie Dallas uh, to. Now Harris doesn't say this. He 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 is very much uh, 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 saying I didn't know. I didn't know anything about this. He foghorn leghorn. He's like, well, I declare, I declare, son, I never, I said, I never hired that man. I bought now. I said, boy, that wasn't me. But, <laughs> but, he, uh, but this guy named, by the name of Dallas uh, ends up you know, help, helping a lot of people in nursing homes to, to vote and, and you know, you know, takes them to the voting booth. Well, not the voting booth, but takes them to the mailbox to put it in there, and they right. mail it in. And oddly enough, you need two signatures if anyone helps you. And his signature and someone else's signature looked incredibly the same. Yeah. And so, and, and they all oddly enough voted for Harris. So the question that is is going to come up on everybody's mind here is if they're going to hold a second election, they have to do it pretty quickly. Because Congress convenes on January 3rd, and that's per uh, the Constitution. Mm-hmm. So they got to get to the, the, the state of North Carolina has to come up with, you know, the governor and the, the legislature, the courts. Somebody in there has to say, look, uh, you guys got to hold the second election or they have to certify Harris. Something has to be done here very, very quickly. Yeah. And the thing is, is just like with us, they're running out of time to get this done. Hey, listen. Yes. We've got to take a quick break. When we get back, oh boy, do we have a lot more to cover, including the latest from the world of D.C. It is the Shaggy Jenkins Show. Stay close. This is Scientific American's 60-Second Science. I'm Christopher Intagliata. Hundreds of millions of years from now, when humans are probably long gone, what sort of geologic record will we leave behind for future archaeologists? Plastics? Sure. Concrete, maybe? How about... The tasty, tender chicken. Good chicken. Ooh, chicken. Yeah, chicken. Humanity consumes some 66 billion birds a year. That's billion with a B. The mass of chickens on the earth is so big, it beats the mass of all other birds combined. The numbers are astonishing. 
Richard Thomas is an archaeologist at the University of Leicester who writes with his colleagues in the journal Royal Society Open Science that chicken bones could be a unique signifier of our era, known as the Anthropocene. Thomas says our chicken industrial complex can be traced back to a program in the late 1940s, known as the Chicken of Tomorrow program. Yes, indeed. Chickens and eggs are a big business. And like big business, there's a serious effort to improve the product. A three-year program to breed a better chicken is now being carried on. They came up with this fast-growing meat chicken. Then, in the decades to come, selective breeding, gene editing, antibiotics, and new types of feed and housing helped maximize chickens' weight gain even more. The chickens of today are something like four times heavier than the original broiler chickens of the 1950s. The upshot, he says, is these bigger bone broilers are huge compared to the wild red jungle fowl they're descended from. And modern chickens will stand out in the fossil record for their size and especially their ubiquity. We're going to find these huge middens, as we'd call them archaeologically, these huge rubbish heaps that are going to be filled with fossilized remains of chickens. And they're going to be the overwhelming animal species that we find. And that, folks, may be the foremost legacy that human greatness leaves behind. And all without solving one of the most enduring mysteries of all. After all these years, whether the chicken or the egg came first is still the subject of a lot of good-natured debate. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American's 60 Second Science, I'm Christopher Intagliata. This is the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome back to it. No matter where you're listening to us, remember, we can be heard other places, including the nightmares of the Republicans everywhere. Actually, you can find us at our website, shaggyjenkins.com, or wherever fine social media is served at Shaggy Live. Now, this guy you can find hanging out somewhere in that tiny little state of Texas. And trust me, (laughs) I tried to drive across it once. You will never find him. But he is from there. He used to, uh, I guess you could say, be one of those professional politicians. Now, educator, please welcome back to the show, Drew Landry. Hey, it's good to be back here, Shaggy. Thanks. Thanks again. Oh, well, I've got a story that we have to bring up because this is one of those stories that is fun in the fact that sit down, Melania. No one's talking about you. But Melania Trump is back in the news again. And Drew, she says we have been very unfair to her and that she wants to have a couple of words with all of us in the media. Um, Look, I just want to throw this out here because from from a long time before, Melania Trump has had, regardless of what her husband has done, a very high public approval rate. And it seems that that public approval has only come because she has been so silent. But in her interviews lately, Drew, is Melania a true-bred Trump or what? Yeah, you know, she's—the big thing about the Trumps is that they don't like the media— mainly because they don't really get the kind of press that they wanted to. And, and when it tells them something differently, they start to a, a, attack it. And, well, you know, with her quote here, when she was on Fox News saying, you know, I'm just, you know, uh, quoting from the story, says, opportunists who are using my name are the hardest part of being first lady. Um, 
you just kind of have to scratch your head and go, you know, what do you, you know, what do you mean? You know, you know, you can easily do a Google search for Melania Trump and you can find a lot of interesting things in there. Um, <laughs> Very you know, interesting. And by the way, kids, yeah. don't do that. Okay, yeah. do not. <laughs> Google no, is no, not yeah. your yeah. friend. You don't have my permission or anyone else's permission to do that. Children. No, no. So, ask an adult. And when you ask that adult, ask that adult just to ask an adultier adult for you. Okay. Don't search for pictures of Melania Trump online. No. Nothing good will come out of it, kids. Uh, you know, I, I just, you know, look, you know, if if you're in, in this, I mean, you're going to be put in the limelight in, in some way. And, and you know, run, you know, running for office, it, it just doesn't involve the, the candidate, especially whenever you're running for the presidency, it involves your entire family. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Melania was fully on board with that. Of course, I don't, I'm not a Trump biographer. I don't know much about that. But I can say that, you know, with the way that her responses have been, it's been rather unlike other first ladies in the past. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I was just let's just throw this out there because Melania has said time and time again that oh the media they are so mean to me they are so mean to my family and you know when I went to that child uh, the center I wore this shirt I don't care why do you because I am so mad at the media but here's the thing if and, and I'm gonna just bring this up as a a thinking caring compassionate human um if you are going into a contentious place where children are forcibly separated from their parents, all because of your husband's illy informed immigration policy. Uh, is that the time to be telling people that you don't care because the media didn't see that as her not caring about us? We all saw this as she didn't care about those kids. Yeah. And it That's- doesn't, it seems that Melania doesn't understand how public <laughs> image works. Right. It's, that was a really odd and poor taste in, in, you know, of clothing to wear at that particular moment. And that, she just, that was, that, that didn't settle in with her. So there's really no excuse for that. And she has to own that. But uh, I, I don't think you'd see Hillary Clinton or even Michelle Obama or Laura Bush or, you know. Oh, oh no, no, no. Keep in mind. We got pissed off at Michelle Obama for showing bare arms above the elbow. We got angry at Michelle Obama. How dare she? How how dare you you have something above the elbow? When when Nancy Reagan was consulting with a medium and having the Ouija board. (laughs) You know, nobody said anything when she was shaking chicken bones in the Oval Office. Oh, Ronnie, the chicken tells you today. Nobody said anything about that. All right. Nobody. Nobody said it when, like, um, behind the scenes, Hillary and Clinton and Bill Clinton during the Michelle, uh, the Monica Lewinsky scandal had very fiery and very confrontational uh, kind of encounters with each other behind closed doors. Nobody said too much about that. Nobody said anything really about Dick Cheney shooting that guy in the face that time, did they? Yeah. <laughs> no, that was, you know, that just goes to show how, how much power you have when you shoot a guy in the face and you make him apologize. So, right? <laughs> that's scary. I mean, scary. that was one of those moments where Dick Cheney was like, now apologize to my bullet for standing in front of it. <laughs> yes, sir, Mr. Cheney, sir. But Yeah, yes, Darth Vader. Yes, Penguin. 
<laughs> the thing is, it's like with when it comes to Donald Trump and now Melania Trump, and, and I, I kind of want to make this my last thought because I don't want to talk about her too much because, one, she hasn't really said a whole lot for me to talk about. And on this show, despite being comical and, let's just face it, very sexy looking myself, uh, I do like to keep some sort of, you know, standard. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to weigh too much in on the character of Melania Trump only through what she's portrayed through the interviews. And, and Drew, I'm just going to toss this as my final thought. When it comes to Melania Trump, not only did the apple not fall far from the tree, but it sprouted its own tree and is now bearing some very racist and misogynistic fruit. Yeah. I'll you know, I, I don't typically say a whole lot about first ladies because they got, you know, they're very much in the shadows of a lot of things. But whenever you do an interview like this, you're kind of thrusting yourself out there. And, well, you know, this is uh, it's it's up it's up for, for criticism and definitely for some sort of conversation. And and uh, I don't really know how far she can get with saying, you know, people are being opportunists. I think uh, that's not entirely fair. No, I, but, you know, as long as we're talking about opportunists, can we go ahead and say that everybody in the media lately is a little bit too much of a big opportunist because we just got through the midterm elections, right? We just got through 2018, but now, Drew, everybody and their mama and, well, why not? Nancy Reagan and her chicken bones are out there <laughs> trying to go ahead and, and decide the 2020 Field of players. I mean, okay, I'm going to ask this before we get into the, the, the stories of the people. Drew, is this Trump fatigue? Is this people on the left going, please, God, can we just start talking about the next election because I am so sick of what happened in the last one? <laughs> you know, I think you got a solid point there. I think um, there, you know, after, you know, once 2017 ended, I think there were a lot of people going, is it 2020 yet? Uh, you know, because that was a pretty long year for people who didn't agree with. The Are you president. kidding me? The year 2018 <laughs> lasted 12 years. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what it felt like. And, and, and so, you know, in 2019 is going to be all gearing up. You're going to find people very early, you know, saying, hey, I'm, I'm throwing my hat in here. I'm thinking about doing it, you know, all of this and that. Um, one thing that I found to be so incredibly odd <clears throat> was that in like, February or March of 2017, there was a guy by the name of John Delaney who said, I'm running for president in 2020. I thought, boy, I mean, it's it's all about getting early, but, you know, I don't know if <laughs> 30 years is that, – that's kind of pushing it. But, you know, uh, but speaking of potential candidates, you know, the Iowa caucus, it's all about, you know, the corn syrup, which, you know, which is right in, in my, uh, you know, soda drink here. And all the, you know, all, all the corn out there in, in Iowa, that's the number one place where candidates are going to spend their time, that and New, New Hampshire. <laughs> they just had this Des Moines Register CNN Mediacom poll, I guess you could say, that, that's, that's been released. And Vice President Biden is on top with uh, 32% of people saying, I want Joe Biden. Now, this is yeah. the thing. I'm just going to yeah. ask you real quick. Sure. Did they poll... Amy Poehler for that result, because I'm pretty sure that that Biden being that far ahead is some sort of parks and recreation, real world continuity trick that we're not aware of. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it, that's that's kind of amazing. You know, if if you remember back to that show, Leslie Nope had a big crush on on Joe Biden. It was it was kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she had the picture of him topless on the back of the horse. And the, yeah, yeah, it was okay. I'm just going to go ahead and say this because this actually plays into these poll numbers, and I kind of want to ask you about this, Drew. Does Uncle yeah. Joe? enjoy some sort of weird cult-like following that we're not aware of i think it's the fact that he wasn't in 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 2016 and and he you know was part of the cool administration uh, you know he was part of you know he was the vice president to president obama and you know this is a guy who has you know he's a very seasoned political veteran and and has a lot of you know experience in in a variety of ways and so I think that has gotten people to say, you know, Joe Biden. I mean, he's you know, for someone who's presidential, and we have definitely taken the bar down of what the term presidential means with the current president. Uh, this guy is it. Mm. I mean, he looks presidential in every way, shape, or form. Uh, so, you know, the, this early poll that that's been reported out is saying, hey, uh, you know, we're not, you know, we're not, you know, we're two years. <laughs> away from the election right and here we are i mean this is incredibly early anything can happen here this isn't you know let's not let's not get you know fall over ourselves too much but but this is newsworthy because you you know you wouldn't think that biden would get that much of a difference over someone who actually ran in 2016 which was Sanders. Mm. Well, that's just it. Bernie Sanders is on this whole field of players, too. And this is one of those social media things that I am going to throw out there. A lot of people have said, look, what if because of the case that we have with Miss AOC herself, uh, you remember her, Miss Ocasio-Cortez, a lot of people are saying, what if our next president right now is working in a bar and he's 33 years old? (laughs) <laughs> because yeah, it's I, happened before. Yeah. And now they're saying, what if our next president is somebody nobody's ever heard of, is just below the line, and is going to, just like AOC did, Miss Ocasio-Cortez, they're just going to come right out of left field and be like, boom, winner. Is there any chance with the Democrats, because the, the Democrats do have a little bit of a cult of personality in them, they do like yeah. their liberal celebrities, is there a chance that there could be another dark horse candidate like uh, Miss Ocasio-Cortez was? Yeah, uh, there is this dark horse candidate. He ran for Senate here in, in Texas. He's He, he has a, a background that is that is storied and, and a bit of interesting. He... Uh, had you know, as a small business owner at one time, actually played in a punk band, uh, played bass guitar. His name's Beto O'Rourke, and he was a congressman out of El Paso. And he, in this poll, he actually got 11 percent, which was kind of amazing because I don't think he's ever been to Iowa. So, <laughs> right? I mean, they do corn, cows, and hee haw. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's only because it's still in syndication now, mind y'all. Uh, but. <laughs> Beto, this is the thing. Beto has done this in state after state, even places far, far on the East Coast. How did Mr. O'Rourke uh, uh, attain this kind of a first name, top of mind awareness? And he hasn't even announced an intention yet. Yeah, it's it's amazing how he's been able to pull this off because his his campaign for for Senate. I mean, he raised eighty million dollars with no PAC money. 
no special interest groups don't, you know, gave to his his campaign. And he had so many people give a whole, you know, just, you know, give $80 million, uh, a very large donation list, if you can imagine that. So um, it, it, very grassroots. He has this rock star appeal. I mean, when you're, you, you know, when you have Willie Nelson out, out there campaigning for you, that's kind of an interesting draw. So and <laughs> careful with the every- word selection there. Draw. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you have a draw around Willie, you might not see straight for an hour or two. <laughs> no, that's a very, a very good point. But there's 254 counties in the state of Texas, and he went to every single one of them. Um, you know, talked to you know somebody who was there at some particular point, whether it was someone driving by. You know, there's so many towns in this little in the rural parts where you just there's just a building in that particular county. And he even went to something like that. And, and so that kind of appeal got to people and saying, you know, this is a guy who is not going to you know, be m- mildly conservative. No, he was full on, you know, left pr- progressive agenda mm-hmm. you know, in, in Texas, you know, saying, uh, you know, all the right things that you need to say to be part of that progressive movement. And he only came, you know, two and a half points shy of beating Ted Cruz, which was amazing. Because people thought Ted Cruz, no way he could ever lose, no way this could ever be close. Well, you know, Beto O'Rourke, who got a lot of money from you know, out, who got a, he got a lot of out-of-state money, a lot of celebrities. Uh, we went on the Ellen Show. People got to see. I think maybe he danced on there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But this is the kind of celebrity stuff that he was able to get, and people from other states saw it and thought, "Hey, this guy has something. He's got this." This charismatic approach. He's got this this very nice guy image, and and uh, you know this could be something that that people aren't really prepared for. So yeah. Now this is I, the I thing, because when it comes to Beto O'Rourke, I mean he messed when when we talk about his his election against uh, Ted Cruz. Um, this was a very grassroots thing on his part, whereas Ted Cruz was propped up by a lot of the old kind of GOP money that we would expect. And this is the thing that I, I want to bring up that not a lot of people in a lot of other shows have mentioned. But Beto O'Rourke messed with Ted Cruz's identity so hard during the election that he has spontaneously sprouted a beard now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know where that was coming from either. But <laughs> I was like, at what point do you like, uh, you know, I better toughen up my image. I'm a lumberjack now. And that's where he's <laughs> running with this. It is so funny because, believe it or not, that is actually a real thing. Beto O'Rourke messed with Ted Cruz's public image so much that Ted Cruz was like, I got to come up with something to kind of reinvent myself in the eyes of people. And, and I, I hate to say it, but... He came up with a beard, and that was about yeah. it. <laughs> you know, he had this. You know, his his campaign slogan was "Tough as Texas," and there were a lot of people who looked at that and go, "So it's okay for the president to make fun of my wife and to say things about my father, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to graciously go with him and love all over him when he." comes and campaigns for me and that that's tough as Texas. So that, that didn't really sit well with, with other people, but, but that helped that that was very good with his base. But, but yeah, but you're right. The, the, the old school type of campaigning 
worked pretty well for, for, for Ted Cruz. I mean, Trump did come down to Houston and he, you know, sold out the place and, and it got people riled up. And, and uh, you know, that was it was one of the closest elections this time. Yeah. And now, now here's the thing about that close election out there in so, Texas. Uh, I don't, we're not done seeing O'Rourke's oh. name. Now, this is the thing. When, when we talk about that close election, Trump wasn't even going to come out there until he was asked by Ted. And then, dude, I am sorry, but out of Texas, you guys have the best interviews when it comes to late night news and there was this one interview of this one guy sitting in a little diner and i think it was lubbock texas but he just goes ted and i mean that was the best quote i had saw about because he was so incensed that 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 ted cruz would roll over for it had nothing to do with politics it had nothing to do with his stance ted cruz could have been the second coming of jesus christ but because donald trump talked bad about his wife out of texas that was all y'all was talking about (laughs) that that was definitely part of, of, of the conversation. But, you know, even, you know, you could tell that, you know, Beto was making a lot of ways and headways out here because there were, you know, drive-by radio who would never even mention anything about any Democratic candidate at any particular time. They were spending day in, day out saying how, how Beto O'Rourke is a flat-out Russian socialist and, and wants to impeach Trump and wants to do all these. I mean, they, they were constantly saying those things, making their people fearful to want to get out to vote. couple of things, Republicans. One, Russia, not socialist, communist. <laughs> and they're an independent communist country that's founded like kind of independent on charter, but really run by communist nature. So that's one. OK, uh, two, they were never socialists. The only other people that consider themselves socialists that we know about on the world scene. Well, they weren't socialists either. They were despotic and they were called the National Socialists. Oh, the Nazis. <laughs> So I am just going to say this from somebody that does not teach at a college. Know your governments, people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Semester starts in January. You're right. (laughs) Early enrollment is not just up for health care, but please get your knowledge straight. (laughs) This is the thing that I want to bring up with you, Drew, because everybody is looking at this 2020 election like it is tomorrow. But... We have a lot of ground to cover before then. Like, just, you've been a candidate before. How long do you actually start planning the candidacy before you even announce it? Oh, my goodness. Um, If you are green, like I was, and, you know, that you spent a lot of time before announcing, laying down as much groundwork as you can, meeting with, you know, local people and all that sort of There's a long work of things to be done. And you have to introduce yourself to a whole set of people. Uh, that is if you are, well, new to the scene. So this isn't any, you know, so what I'm saying here is that we have a very long time and you are right. It takes a very long time. Uh, we'll probably see some potential candidates uh, and their uh, debates happen this in the summer of 2019, we'll see it all. You know, we'll see things really get moving in o- October because in January and February of 2020, that's when the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary start, and then 
that's when everything goes just just blows out there. Yeah. So we'll see everything, and we'll get back right into election season when it gets to being you know September October of 2019, and things are going to get cuckoo crazy yet again. So just you know in, in, enjoy this little bit of free time for the next four, five, six months, and uh, we'll see what happens. But but it's it's going to take a little while, and you know but. People need to take a big, deep breath about what was found in, in Iowa, about what's going to take place. And, you know, we don't know who's going to run. You know, we, we have ideas out there of people who might want to run. Um, you know, we just heard about uh, uh, Kristen uh, uh, Gillibrand out of New York who's thinking about running. Yeah. Uh, rumors of Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, they're rumored to be wanting. Elizabeth Warren. There's a, a big long list of Democrats who have got the idea that you know, you know, I might. I'm kind of toying around with it. So we're not going to see a whole lot of you know, put, you know, actual potential candidates until at least the summer. Now and, this is the thing that I want to bring up because look, everybody in the media, and this is a problem with us, not with them. This is a problem with us. We're always wanting to have the break. We're the ones that want to have the story first. So I am just going to throw this out here because I know no other media is going to say this. 2020 is the year of Godzilla Mothra ticket. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I want to make a very serious point about saying that. I mean, you know, if Papa Smurf and Smurfette wanted to run, a la, like, you know, um, what was his name? Mondale, back in the 1980s. The fact of the matter is, is that everybody in the media right now seems to be spending a lot of time spitballing and almost wishing for the race to start. And, and that has a very interesting psychological effect on the American public. Drew, are yeah. we in trouble in this country of experiencing politician or slash election fatigue? You know, that's an interesting question. Um, the thing about elections is you, there's, you, the, there's a time when you can get in it too late. And there's a time when you can uh, getting in it too early hasn't really been tested yet, except for John Delaney, who I don't think is going to run a very serious campaign. Um, but, uh, you know, you'll t you, there is a time where, where people will say, you got to give me a break. I mean, I got, you know, I got to, I, you, you got to leave me alone. And, you know, Please the stop. way that the elections, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and the way that elections are ran in this country every two years, um, you know, people are really, you know, geared up for election season, there's a time for it. And then there are those who say, look, I got to I got to work harder. So uh, there is a moment where people will get election fatigue. And if you know, if, if, if there's someone right now who's going to knock on my door saying, I, you know, I want to run for for Congress, I'm going to tell that person to get out of my face because I don't want to hear, hear him right now. <laughs> or calls my phone and says, hey, I want to run for, for president. I'm going to say, you need to leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> I got to take a breather, man. That election was just last month, and I'm just you know barely getting by right now. Yeah, that last so, election that was last month that lasted four years. Yeah. <laughs> I just want a break. Every time. So, yeah, there, there is a it's, – it's like an invisible meter that people have in their head. Um, you know, it's there is a moment where people say, "Well, isn't that like you know, you know, about you know two years away? Why am I hearing about about this now?" And then there, you know, there's 
you know, time with it, it'll, it'll just you know go off and say, yeah. "All right, I'm ready for it." You'll you know, bring it on. Well, as it's, long as we're talking about it, we've got like 30 sure. seconds left. I mean, you've ran for office before. Why not? Let's just go ahead and say that we're running for president too. <laughs> Hey. I'll, I'll, I'll be your VP. There you go. Everybody, say hello and goodbye to Drew and, well, for us too. Guys, we've got to go. Until the next show, stay safe, stay sane, and for God's sakes, love you, mean it. Kate and bye. We are out. <laughs>